Hi, my name is Jill James, Vivid's Chief Safety Officer, and welcome to a very special episode of the Accidental Safety Pro. Today we're going to be looking back at a few of the guests that we've had and reflecting on some of the stories that we've heard and advice that was shared. First up, in episode 13 with Dave Desario, we were addressing the cliche in the aftermath of an accident where someone seems to always be asking, what did the employee do wrong? You know, when you hear about a serious injury or fatality, maybe the first thought that I had was, what did this person do? What did this mm -hmm. worker do to make that happen? Mm -hmm. And I think Dave's case is such an important one because it is so clear um, that it's not his fault. And it's so clear that responsibility falls on so many different people and so many different companies where there were just there were many opportunities along the way for safety professionals, for supervisors, for coworkers, for managers, for executives, for big companies uh, to somewhere along the line do the right thing, make safety a priority, uh, make safety a priority over production and over profit. Mm -hmm. um, but it was missed. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, coming out as an outsider, um, Dave's case meant a lot to me. And also as someone that worked as a young person in a warehouse, not too different as Dave did. So it wasn't so different for me. But I think as an outsider, what was truly shocking was hearing the number of fatalities that are on the job, mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, if you're a former OSHA inspector, these numbers are second nature for you. Or if mm -hmm. you're in safety and health, they are. And maybe it's something you take for granted. Or you see the long view. So if you hear 4,500 or 4,600 Americans died on the job in the last year, maybe that doesn't sound so big when you think of the history of OSHA. And, that, you know, was it two or three times that in, yes. the, in the 70s? In the early, yes, exactly. So, you know, maybe to someone in the industry that sounds like more of a success story or sounds like a lower number. But I think as an outsider, when I thought of workplace fatalities, I thought of Bangladesh or, you know, somewhere not here. Right. So, so that, that was a shocking piece to you in, 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 in finding out that, oh my gosh, a lot of people die on the job. Next up is a clip from our American Society of Safety Professionals roundtable with Anupama, Donald, and Aaron. Anupama and Donald both share stories of things they never thought they'd have to address in their work as safety professionals. Things that you've done that you're like... That was a once and done thing or gosh, I can't even believe I had to, I did that. I didn't know the job was going to be this, um, those kind of things. One that caught me off guard was evaluating the compliance of protein muffins <laughs> from a byproduct of a, of a, <laughs> of a process. Yep. Wonderful. Okay. Next. Um. I'll say I, I feel like I'm the uh, I'm the field HR representative. I get all kinds mm. of complaints about mm. all type of things that aren't necessarily health and safety related. But in order to uh, keep those relationships and to make them feel comfortable coming to me, I just sit there and listen to it all and yeah. <laughs> bring it to the appropriate group that I feel. Uh, a lot of things that I do is uh, that I didn't know that I was be expected to do at times. Um, was uh, equipment inspections specifically for mm -hmm. like crafts that like uh, for like lifting and, and ladders and other things like that. I, I understand yeah. that there are programs and they need to be inspected and all those other good things. Um, but I didn't know I was going to be the one going to do it. So, Doing yeah, it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So another one that just happened to me a couple of weeks ago is I was in the middle of lunch. I was working and eating in my office and a gentleman walked in and he said, 
I hope you don't have a sque- queasy stomach. I'm covered in human feces. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> Another story that resonated with me was when Mark explained respiratory issues that he has seen over the years as an industrial hygienist, even one called crab asthma. Was that kind of your first um, job that you had where you weren't having this vast exposure to all these different types of employment settings, or am I guessing wrong there? It was it was really different. You know, I uh, working in an occupational medicine clinic at the at the University of Washington, and it was mm-hmm. the we were one of the a major kind of we were a research center. We trained occupational mm-hmm. medicine docs, and then we provide uh, patient services to the to the in the you know in the Northwest to for on occupational disease and some some on back injuries and seeking help, but mostly the focus was disease. The mm-hmm. the and so what what was different was I you know I suddenly wasn't going out to work sites very often, but what was happening is sick sick workers were coming into our clinic, and so we mm-hmm. saw lots of workers with with asbestosis and yeah. uh, potential lung cancer and some mesothelioma cases. We saw lead poisoning, solvent exposures were very common. Um, and so lots of indoor air cases. This was in the early 90s and a lot of indoor air issues. We saw lots of, of asthma and sort of environmental sensitivity cases from around the Northwest from from things like mm-hmm. crab asthma, which is in the in the crab processing from Alaska, was a common disorder. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, yeah. And, and to, you know, to, you know, to radiator, you know, workers in radiator shops getting lead poisoning. And then, you know, the... The, the 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 historic asbestos disease uh, diseases that were showing up just because of the long history of asbestos use in the Pacific Northwest. We appreciated Carolina sharing her stories as a safety pro at Pixar Animation Studios, simply to show no matter where you work, safety is for everyone. How has how has that transition been looking for you in terms of like how are you able to work through those fires every day and kind of what resources are you reaching out to? Well, you know, because we are a Disney company as well, I have my Disney partners that deal with safety and environmental Mm. health. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've actually reached out and introduced myself to them in the beginning and asked if they could help guide me and answer questions for me if I ever had any. And that's how, you know, it all started. I mean, it's like there isn't always fires that we have to put out because we have our facilities department. They're really good about, you know, safety and believing in that. Our studio is a huge supporter of it. So just keeping up with the maintenance of, you know, making sure everyone's up to certifications that they may need, you know, from forklift operator to CPR and first aid to, you know, has calm and all of that. So it's just making sure that I'm continuing on the regulations, making sure mm-hmm. we're still OSHA compliant. And again, these things just surface up. I mean, I was on board maybe, I want to say about four months in, mm-hmm. and I get a call from the environmental health inspector saying, hey, I need to schedule a visit. <laughs> and I'm all like, huh? What's that? <laughs> Who is that? <laughs> Who? Environmental what? Uh And so 
you know, I was very open and honest. And I think that's what's helped me out is I'm not afraid to say, I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. Let me come Mm -hmm. back. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm really, I have no clue what you're talking about, but I can find out. And I've Mm -hmm. always done that throughout my life and my careers. So, of course, we had to update our hazard material business plan. And I'm all like, what? Mm-hmm. What is that? What is that? I, mm-hmm. I have no idea. The next clip is from episode 15 with Linda Martin. Linda shared her insight on being female in our profession and also avoiding the safety cop label. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about what that was like early in a career. You know, you're, you and I both started in safety in our 20s mm-hmm. and we're women Mm-hmm. And um, it sounds like your path often led you to being in more, not, not only are, are women continuing to be a, a minority in our field, but the fields where you were working were also pretty male dominated in construction trades and a lot of that environmental piece. Um, what did that look like for you in terms of how did you find your voice uh, and build into that? I've always had a voice. Jill. Um, but I will say, um, <laughs> I got that joke. <laughs> yeah. I've always had a, I've always had a voice. Um, Sorry. A little, little slow on me there. <laughs> so one of the things that I've kind of prided myself on is that, you know, I don't like kind of, uh, plying my craft if that's the right way to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, by, and, and maybe this is this is the wrong way to say it too, by, by pulling the woman card, yeah. by either having um, men do what I want in the field because it's a female asking or um, change their behavior, you know, uh, because I'm one of the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I prided myself more on building, building a base rapport. Um, and, and that entails... Well, first of all, you know, some of the older men that are in construction um, and this kind of generates itself as new people come in, they see safety as here comes a safety cop. Mm-hmm, right. Here, mm-hmm. Here, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's going to tell me to put my hard hat on mm-hmm. and I'm going to chuckle about it. And then when mm-hmm. she leaves, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do Take whatever. It off. Right? Yep. Do mm-hmm. whatever I want. Just, just, you know, placate her. Yep. Um, but um, to actually kind of come in and say, you know, listen, I, you know, I'm not here to do that. I'm, I'm here to, to try to help you do mm-hmm. a task better. And, and number one, I want to hear why you're doing it the way you are, because sometimes that's important. Yeah. So, you know, that, that gives them a sense of empowerment that, that they're part of the, part of the process, mm-hmm. but also not to be that person that comes in and is, you know, barking orders or be the know-it-all, um, mm-hmm. the safety, safety person, cop, mm-hmm. the safety cop, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the other thing is, is that, um, when people see you as the same and, and by the same, I mean, you know, we all have the same concerns, right? I, mm-hmm. I want to do my job and, and I want to do my job because I make money and I can support my family. And, you know, I, I love the weekends. Um, mm-hmm. I love to get that, get to the weekends. I love it when it's five o'clock and I get to go home and, and mm-hmm. hold my daughters on my lap. And mm-hmm. so when you build that sense of, Hey, we're all the same. And Mm -hmm. I care that you have that same ability Mm -hmm. as I do um, to to go home at night. Um, I I think it goes a long way. Mm -hmm. And I never, at least in my professional practice, I never have had a problem with 
working with a bunch of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that, that it's not difficult. It, it has been very difficult over mm-hmm. the years. You know, if I was to give some advice to women, I would say, you know, come in and show your sameness. Mm-hmm. Um, that you have the same, same values and same uh, concerns. Listen a lot, right? Mm-hmm. These guys mm-hmm. have been in the field for, you know, some of them 30 plus years. Right. And they do things because they've learned to adapt their tasks over a, a set amount of time. And just because they're doing something not the way that you would do it, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. And it, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it's not safe. It might not be as safe as it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's the listening part allows you to get to the point where you can have a conversation uh, right. about making something safer or maybe having a compromise. If you're a fan of the show, you know how important mentors can be. And in episode 17, Katie tells us her story about the importance of mentorship to her. And while I, you know, I have what I call first year safety pro syndrome, where, you know, I thought I knew everything (laughs) and I was super smart. Well, yeah, when you have somebody that you can default and ask questions of every day who can tell you when you're doing something wrong, you know, yeah, your, your job is a lot easier than having to make those decisions and tell people wonder you know, if it's right mm-hmm. yeah exactly so that mm-hmm. was really really difficult and I knew it wasn't for me and, th- and then I had another brief stop after that and that really wasn't for me either um but uh where I'm at now I feel so much better I'm I am the only one that does what I do but I'm okay with that at this point I've one of the biggest things that I've learned is that um mentors come in all sorts of forms you know they don't <laughs> have to be a safety professional to mm-hmm. teach you how to be a good employee mm-hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, tell us, tell us more about that. I I agree with you a hundred percent. But tell tell us more about that, especially if someone's just getting started and they're, you know, looking for those mentors. When you say it's not necessarily somebody in safety, talk about an experience or what you learned. That's valuable. Yeah. Um, uh, A few years ago in the the company I worked for, um, I had started out working for one safety manager who is someone I respect very much. He is super funny. You know, we get along really well. We still talk every now and then. Uh, but he left the company to seek a different opportunity. And, um, you know, and he gave me really wonderful advice. He was kind of like, you know, I'm grouchy and I can grumble that, oh, you know, safety's dumb, but that's why I do it because, you know, I want to make sure I do my best so that people don't have to grumble about it and whatnot. And he told me, you know, you, you're too young to have that attitude. Make sure you, you know, stay positive and whatnot. So I was like, oh yeah, great. And, um, after he left, I started working for somebody else and I kind of looked to that person to be my mentor. And that really didn't mesh. I, I felt like we didn't have the same values and we didn't practice the same way. And that person didn't really try to get to know me, which was mm-hmm. really frustrating. Um, cause I felt like, you know, they didn't understand me. And, you know, I feel like I'm, I sound like, you know, that every parent's like 16 year old, like, Oh, you don't understand me. And, you know, <laughs> you don't like the things I like, but it was, it was difficult because I, you know, I wanted to be my best for this person. And right. I, I just, I felt like, you know, we weren't really clicking. So I ended up, um, having a mentor in the manufacturing engineering manager at one of my locations. And he Mm. turned out to be a fantastic mentor for me. He would take me aside after meetings and be like, Hey, I know that you're trying to pitch this right now. And I wanted to, you know, give you some feedback. I think that, you know, this 
maybe, you know, this way of pitching this idea, I don't think that's going to work because of X, Y, Z, but I mm-hmm. really, I think it's a great idea. And I think if we tweak that a little bit, we can really get some success. I'd be like, Oh yeah, that's great. So, you know, mm. he helped me a lot to get like, you know, a really expensive order of security cameras, you know, approved and, mm-hmm. and all kinds of, you know, really great things like that. And he's still someone that I, I look to a lot. And, you know, on, on my last day, with that org, you know, I, I sat in his office and I was like, oh, you know, my, my exit interview is coming up and I just, I'm, I'm really glad that you were here for me and you, you know, looked out for me quite a bit. So, and we're mm-hmm. still friends as well. You know, I, I, I talk with him quite a bit still, but that was really when that stood out to me that I, I was able to learn something about my career from someone who didn't talk to me about safety. This next clip is one that I think will resonate with a lot of us who parent children and who are also safety professionals. Listen as Siobhan and I discuss both having a safety mom and being one. I remember it being normal. Yeah. Nothing about it seemed weird or abnormal or something that isn't supposed to be happening in a family. I mean, the way that she presented the information the way she covered it with us I to me it all made sense which maybe it's because this was kind of embedded in me anyway Um, but I don't remember it being you know something out of the ordinary it just seemed like it was Mm -hmm. a natural part of growing up now Mm -hmm. I know that when I would talk to other friends about it as I would get older and I'd notice things and start pointing things out they would look at me Mm-hmm. Like I was weird, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but then yeah, I would just it? look at them like, well, what do you mean it's weird? Why wouldn't you want to know what, you know, right. kind of safety you need to do to protect yourself? Why wouldn't you want to know that you shouldn't plug in a lot of things into your power strip or uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> that chemicals are kept in this area for a certain reason or that there should yeah. be a meeting place if there's a fire? Why wouldn't you mm-hmm. want to know these things? Mm-hmm. So I just, I never, I don't know when, when friends would react that way, I just... I guess I would have the equal but opposite reaction back to them. <laughs> right, yeah. What was it like when you had your first like sleepovers or, you know, you're going to other people's houses? I, I know what I did as a mom, so I'm curious to know what, what Supermom did. So, I mean, Supermom really tried her best not to impose that on my friends. Mm-hmm. And so she would try as hard as she could, but she talk about certain things she would say you know if there ends up being a tornado we're gonna hide underneath you know the stair at that time she said we're gonna hide underneath the stairwell in the basement and then I remember getting older and her saying no that's not a good idea what we need to do is we need to figure out what direction the tornado is coming in so we can sit in the opposite corner I mean she would talk about things like that and she would talk about where we're gonna meet if there was a fire and but outside of that she really wouldn't try to push too much on them because I think she Mm -hmm. knew that not a lot of families (laughs) did what she did and she Uh didn't want to be that weird mom that now kids don't want to spend the night at your house because she's freaking them out. Um, And then I would try really hard not to bring those things up when I would go to friends' houses because I guess I kind of learned from my mom that not everyone has that safety sense and you don't want to be that kid that no one wants to <laughs> invite over anymore. <laughs> right. So I would try hard not to do it, but sometimes, especially if something she talked about seemed really cool, I don't know, yeah, I would right. of course, bring absolutely. it up. It just, I liked yeah. it. <laughs> when my son was little, he would, he's, 
I remember the first time he asked me, and I don't remember what the context was. He just said, Mom, what's our safety plan for that? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> what did I? But I also remember like calling his friend's parents' houses when he would go and spend time asking about firearms. Oh, yeah. And, you know, were they locked up? And those kind of questions. And I thought, well, you know, I have a right to ask that as a parent. And, and uh, they were, uh, you know, legitimate, I think, questions to ask. And his his little his little friends now they're not little anymore they're all teenagers and when we when we go about and do things with them they all are like all right Jill where when is it coming what's the safety plan this um this past Halloween kids always do uh, we always organize for them a scavenger hunt with an app um, called oh it's a really cool app I'll think of it and share it with people because you can do your own scavenger hunt through an app and you can go around to different places in a community and um, take photos of what you're supposed to be finding or set a set a point on a map like I got to this place or I saw this or whatever okay goose chase that's the name of the app oh. and so this year the kids are like okay we're gonna do the scavenger hunt again right I'm like yep but you all have driver's licenses <laughs> So do you still want the teams of parents driving you around to these places or are you going to do it on your own? And they're like, we're going to drive. And so we're like, okay, new safety plan. You know, <laughs> we've, got, we've got drivers like the person who's driving the car is not engaged in the game. You are simply the driver. Do you still want to play? Yes. You know, <laughs> so, three cars of teenage boys driving around a community playing their goose chase oh app my goodness i know anyway so <laughs> safe, safety mom uh at play there uh there were definitely a lot of things i loved about episode three with joe but one of the most impactful moments was definitely when he told this story i would have you know meetings with my emergency response team every month right and i would always mm -hmm. say to people you know the exact same statement over and over again if we ever get into a situation where there's, you know, a fire, there's a spill, there's some sort of, you know, incident and you can't find the person that's missing and you can't safely get into that area, then you need to protect yourself and get back out. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. there's, there's no value in having two groups of people that are lost. And so, you know, it would almost seem like people would look at me like, yeah, right. Nothing's ever going to happen. And, mm -hmm. you know, that, that that's just complete mm -hmm. silly we're invincible um, mm -hmm. yeah we're invincible it's never going to happen until you know I, I can remember one specific morning you know we had an incident where you know chemicals were pumped into the wrong tank and there was a, you know a hydrogen explosion you know what i mean and basically yeah. you know those chemicals created you know a cloud you know what i mean as soon as the mm -hmm. tank exploded right and the, the cloud you know pretty much blocked the entire view of a camera within seconds so you know it was very difficult to know what was going on I wasn't at the plant. I was actually at home. Right. And mm -hmm. I remember, you know, I, w I was responding to the plant because I heard them, you know, dispatch the local fire company and stuff. And I on my way in, I could hear, you know, my team operating, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But they were doing mm -hmm. all the things I told them to do. You know what I mean? So they were searching for the person and they pulled back out. You know what I mean? Well, here we had lost two people in that incident that we couldn't account for. Right. But wow. they had ended up going out the back door. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and, you know, if I had sent my team in to try to find them, you know what I mean? We would have had more problems. And so then once those people were accounted for, everybody was still in that really hyped up mode that we got to go in and we got to solve this problem now. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the thing is, your responsibility is to your people, you know what I mean? And to make sure they're safe. And the reality was 
there was nobody in there that was, you know, at risk. You know what I mean? We had a building that was damaged. We had problems, but, you know, we needed to slow down and make sure that when I sent people in, it was safe, you know? Mm -hmm. So we had to shut all the utilities off. We had to shut, you know, all the, uh, you know, things that were coming through the pipes off, but mm -hmm. then we went in and it was safe. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I, I, to me, that was the one of the more meaningful things that I realized, wow, you have to say things over and over mm -hmm. and over again until mm -hmm. it gets into somebody's head because saying it once doesn't mean anything. You know? Right. Yeah. So re repeating, like you said, the message, remembering to carry our message upstream, but also downstream as well sure. and, and being repetitive about it. Um, you know, the airlines do that really well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're getting that message every time. Put on your own oxygen mask first before you help someone else. Right. And, and all those messages, which essentially is part of what the message was for you that day and how proud you must have been of your team. I, I definitely was. And like I said, to me, that was one of the larger uh, successes, you know, with emergency response. I hope you enjoyed these episode moments as much as I have. And special thanks to our guests for being so willing to share their depth, their stories, so that we all might learn and grow. Special thank you to Dave, Anupama, Donald, Aaron, Mark, Carolina, Linda, Katie, Siobhan, and Joe. And thank you all so much for joining in and listening today. And thank you all for the work that you do to make sure that your workers go home safe at the end of every day. And special thanks to Will Moss, our podcast producer. You can listen to all of the episodes at vividlearningsystems.com or subscribe in the podcast player of your choosing. If you have a suggestion for a guest, including maybe if it's yourself, please contact me at social at vividlearningsystems.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.